Well, we talked about it earlier. We've got some, some wet weather. We also had a little cold front come in. Some of you experienced a little cold front. If you get up early in the morning and walk outside, you notice, wow, it was cold some days. We had some upper 30s. But that cold and that wet also brought in some very beautiful sights. If you got to go outside and, and look towards the mountains, you got to see some snow-capped mountains. So beautiful. As I was driving to work, I could look out and I could see the mountains. So gorgeous. And as I came out in the morning, across my grass was like little ice across the lawn. It looks pretty. I'm sure it's not fun to play on, but it looked pretty. And then in the evenings, we've had some amazing sunsets. That's when you look up and you see all of this and all these things that we enjoy, and we enjoy them with our sense of vision. But what would the mountains be like? What would that view be like if we couldn't see them? If we had no sight? Imagine being blind and someone telling you about the snow-capped mountains. What do you see? Think about it. How about the crystals across the lawn? You don't see it. The sunset, you don't see it. Without sight, I wouldn't know my wife's face to recognize her face. I wouldn't know my own mother's face. The woman who bore me, I wouldn't recognize her face. My own children, I wouldn't know their face. How about communication? How much when we talk to somebody do we pick up body language? And the way they move and the way they frown, without being able to see, you wouldn't pick up any of that either. You wouldn't be able to describe anything of a color. You wouldn't know the colors. And on and on we can go. We live in a physical world, and without physical sight, we cannot see the things around us. This morning, we're going to be looking at somebody who was born physically blind. But I'm looking around this room, and, and looking around, I don't see anybody in here that was born physically blind. But did you know that we were all born spiritually blind? Every single one of us born spiritually blind. And just as a person that was born physically blind can't see the physical things, those who are born spiritually blind cannot see spiritual things. So just like a physically blind person couldn't enjoy the awe of the mountains and the snow-capped mountains, so a spiritually blind person can enjoy the awe of God's grace and the beauty of His Son, the face of Christ. We actually need to be given sight. It needs to be given to us. And there's only one that can give this type of sight. He is the one who came to seek and to save those who were lost. And as we return to our study of John this morning, the Gospel of John, you'll remember why John penned this Gospel. He wrote it in John chapter 20, verse 31. He said, He's written these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. It's because of Christ that we can sing, I once was lost, but now I'm found. T'was blind, but now I see. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of the sermon is The Blind Shall See. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 7 in John chapter 9 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 9. As you're turning there, know this, that this morning we're going to be looking at the sixth miracle that John has recorded in this gospel. Now, Jesus didn't only perform the seven total that John will record. Jesus did lots of miracles. John has chosen to record seven for a specific reason. He's already, we've already studied the wedding at Cana where he changed water into wine. 
We study where he healed the official's son. He healed the invalid at the pool of Bethesda. He fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. He walked on water. This morning, we're going to see him heal a man that was born blind and give him sight. And also, later on in the gospel, he raises Lazarus from the dead. These seven miracles John focuses on, and he focuses on them for a very specific purpose, that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. All right, so time for you to answer. I got a question. Think of the Old Testament, those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament. How many people in the Old Testament did God use to heal people of blindness? If you don't have an answer, don't shout one out. How many people in the Old Testament did God use to heal someone of blindness? For those of you that can't think of one, there's a good reason why. Because there isn't one. So some of you are like, whew, see, I gave nothing, I got nothing, this time it worked out good for me. <laughs> I came up empty and it worked. There's nothing there. Uh, how about this? How about the New Testament? Did the disciples, or how many of the disciples actually healed somebody of blindness in the New Testament? How many of the disciples you can think of healing somebody in the New Testament of blindness? Are we still drawing a blank? All right, so the answer again is zero. All right, so let me give you an easier one. Who in all of Scripture is the only one, the only person who we see giving blind, or giving blind, <laughs> giving sight to those who are blind? Jesus. Do you think there's a reason for that? Do you think there's a, a, a significance to that? You see, in the Old Testament, the blind, giving sight to the blind was associated with what the Messiah would do, the Savior of the world. Isaiah writes all about it. That when Messiah comes, he would cause those who were blind to be able to see. It's a God-given function of the promised Messiah. And it's a fact that the Jews would be very familiar with as Jesus engages with them. That the Messiah would give sight to the blind. Thus, it's no surprise that John focuses on this miracle this morning. So with your Bibles open, would you begin with me? In John chapter 9, we begin by reading... It says, as he, speaking of Jesus, as Jesus passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. Now, first thing we need to ask, as he passed by, where is he coming from? What's already happened? If you've been studying with us through the Gospel of John, you know Jesus was in the temple. It was the Feast of Booths. It was the last day. He had declared himself to be the light of the world. But he also said something else that incited the Jews. If you look back in your Bible to the two previous verses, the end of chapter 8, John chapter 8, verses 58 and 59, this is what Jesus had said in the temple. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He's taking on the name of God, saying, I am God. And look at the response of the people, verse 59. They picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Okay, so now we pick up in chapter 9, verse 1. As he passes by, where is Jesus leaving? The temple, most likely going by the temple gates. The temple gates where people would be there begging for alms. And who does he see? He sees a blind man. A man who has been blind from birth. We see in verse 1, it says, he saw. Who saw? Jesus saw him. Did the blind man see anything? 
No. Jesus intentionally engaged with this man. The man didn't know Jesus was walking by, didn't know it was Jesus, couldn't see anything, but Jesus engages him. Church, as we speak of spiritual blindness, this is exactly what God does with us. He engages with us. And that's what we're going to see this morning. This man is a blind man from birth. If you understand anything about the, the time, there was no welfare system. This is a hopeless condition. The only way to get along and to survive in this condition was to beg for alms and hoping that people would give you something so you could be sustained. And that was this man from birth. He's a man that did not have sight. The culture around would kind of push him to the side and ostracize him. And now he sits and he begs. And here comes Jesus. And we see the compassion of Jesus on display. Over and over again in Scripture, we read about the compassion of Christ. That he showed compassion upon people. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, we see that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It means they were feeling the woes of this world. They were feeling all the ups and downs and down and downs of this world and yet had no hope. And he had compassion on them. And here in this text, he sees this blind man. And Jesus shows compassion. Pick up in verse 2 with me, John chapter 9, verse 2. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I want you to think about that question. You find that to be an interesting question. They see a blind man, and what comes out of their mouth, not words of compassion, but who's responsible? Exactly. How do you end up this way? Was it sin of his parents, or was it because of his own sin? Interesting question. They had an assumption that wherever there was suffering, or wherever there was illness, it was because of somebody's sin. Somebody had sinned, they assumed, and that's why this man is the way that he is. See, the rabbis in the day, that's exactly what they taught them. They taught them that if someone was born like this man, with some type of defect, that it was because of sin. And that's where they get this question from. It was a common mindset. Imagine how horrible it would be for someone with a chronic illness or someone with some type of disability. And everybody comes by and they're just judging you. Senator, what did you do? What did your parents do? Who's responsible for this? So not only do they have to deal with that infirmity of living with it, but now the scrutiny of everybody around them, even talking about their parents. You know, I get where they understand maybe it's their parents, because in the Old Testament, we see that it refers to the transgressions of the father that comes down on the next generation. Okay, well, what does that mean? I mean, consequence of sin, we understand that. I mean, a, a promiscuous mother could have an STD that actually gets transferred over to a newborn baby. A, a mother who, who is a drunkard, could have a child who's affected by that alcohol or drugs, it gets passed on. So I, I can understand that mentality, but what about when they said, is it his sin? His sin? He was born blind. How was it his sin? Well, they believed and they taught, the Jews did, that there was such thing as prenatal sin. Prenatal sin. They had a doctrine of prenatal sin. 
They believed that a child could sin in the womb. And that's how they excused when an ungodly child was raised in a godly family. They say, well, that child sinned in the womb. Whereas if you go to Ezekiel chapter 18, Ezekiel will tell you you could have a godly father and the son could be unrighteous. Or you could have an unrighteous father, but the son could still be raised up and be righteous. But they would excuse this on, it must have been something that that child did in the womb. So that's what they're asking about this man. Did he sin in the womb? Or was it his parents? So this helps us understand their question. Sadly, we see Jesus sees the man has compassion, but the disciples see the man and just make an assumption about him. There's no compassion. They just make an assumption. Follow me in verse 3, John 9, 3. Here's Jesus' response. Jesus says it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus emphatically states, this man's condition has nothing to do with sin. It doesn't do with his parents' sin, nothing to do with his sin. He says, this man was born blind so that God's power may be displayed in him. You say, what? How does that work? Church, do you realize God doesn't make mistakes? I want you to just think about that and unpack that for a second. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. He alone is the one who gives life. This man who sat there and begged for alms was a man who was fashioned by God. He was created by God. And this interaction right here was in a divine appointment that God knew before time began, that this was going to take place. God doesn't make mistakes. So sidebar. Let's go to a sidebar. If you're a young woman now, and you go to the doctor and you go through your prenatal treatments, the doctor will give you an option to take a prenatal test to see if there's any kind of diagnosis of that preborn baby, if there's any kind of deformities in that preborn baby. Guess what happens to a mother who finds out that there might be some deformity in her preborn child? She feels pressure from the doctors, she feels pressure from society that we need to abort this, this pregnancy. And the doctor will make it sound all fine that just, you know, just move on. You'll get pregnant again, and, and you'll have a whole child. Church, God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. I want to use Down syndrome as an example this morning. Statistically in the U.S., because of this test that women are given, the, the, the range of statistics goes from 67% up to 85%, depending on the statistics taken, that women who find out they're going to have a Down syndrome child will abort that child. About two-thirds two of pregnancies. God doesn't make mistakes. And some of you are thinking, oh, but Down syndrome, that would be so hard to live with and so hard. Really? Is it hard for the one with Down syndrome or is it hard for the parent? Who, who is the person really thinking about? Because if you know anybody who has Down syndrome, they're some of the happiest people on the planet. We went to a birthday party not too long ago for, for some Down syndrome folks. And you know who was on the dance floor just tearing it up? Every single person that were Down syndrome having the best time. You know who was standing on the side? Everybody who didn't have Down syndrome. All self-conscious about themselves. Like, I don't want people to think or judge me. They were having a great time. As a matter of fact, there was a survey. 
of Down syndrome folks, 99% of them reported being happy with their lives. 99% reported being happy with their lives. 97% said they liked who they are. And 86% said they make friends easily. Listen to those statistics. You know what? By comparison, the general population of America, only 81% says they're happy. 99% of Down syndrome folks said they're happy. But then we look at it and say, oh, there's a mistake. We've got to do something about it. Let's get back to our, our blind man in our text this morning. Jesus, in effect, this morning, when he looks at this man, he is saying that God has selected this man before the foundation of the world, that this man would be born in this condition that Christ could display the glories of God in this man. It's an amazing, amazing thing. A blind beggar. So this blind man's encounter with Christ and everything that leads up to this encounter with Christ is not an accident. It's not by coincidence. It is very intentional. And the same thing is true with every one of us. Do you know as a believer that God oversees all that happens in our lives? That as a believer, we have a promise in Scripture that is amazing. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 reads like this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. So things that would come into our life that we would say, but how could this do anything good? That we have the one who created the entire world. The one that designed everything and that he promises he will use it for our good and for his glory. And church, you can think about that for a second. I'm sure there are situations in your life. If you're a believer this morning, as a believer, you've said, God, why is this going on? God, how could this happen? You might even blame yourself and say, God, what did I do to deserve this? And like this blind beggar, perhaps you've done nothing. But it was so that the works of God could be displayed in you. Romans 8.29 says that God's going to use these things to conform you into the image of his son, to make you more like Jesus. That might not be a fun journey, but it is a good journey to be more like Christ. Continuing on our narrative this morning, we see in verses 4 and 5, John 9, 4 and 5, Jesus says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can ask. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So remember what's going on. Jesus sees the blind man. He engages with them. The disciples ask a question about whose sin is it. Jesus says, no, it doesn't have to do with sin. It's so that God can be demonstrated, his goodness through this man. And now he commands in verse 4, he says, we must work. Notice the word we. We must work. He didn't say I must work. He said we must work. He was referring to his disciples along with himself. Now, just like the disciples then, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, guess what? You're a disciple. This also applies to us. We refer to us. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me. This word sent is really big in the Gospel of John. John wants you to know that Christ came from the Father. He was sent from the Father. 
And Jesus says, look, he who sent me, we need to be busy about his works. Keep this word sent in mind. We're going to come back to it shortly. What are these works he's speaking of? We must work the works. Work the works. What does the word work mean? It means to labor, to accomplish, to carry out something. To carry out what? To accomplish what? He says the works of God. Jesus says we need to be busy, as he and the disciples were, about the Father's business. Be busy about the Father's business. And he gives a sense of urgency here. He says, while it's still day, that night is coming. He's saying, while he's still there with them, there's opportunity. But sometime after that, as you know, Christ went to the cross. And he died on that cross. And he was raised from the dead, and then he ascended back into heaven. Jesus is saying there's urgency. He says, just as I am going to die, and then for him... He's going to raise and go to heaven. But he says, you guys are not going to be here forever either. You're only going to be here for so long. You only have so many days on this earth. There's urgency. He says, we need to be working. We need to get working. The day he speaks of that is coming would be his crucifixion. You guys realize that life is a vapor. As you age and you look back, you realize that when you're young, you don't get it. When you're a child, you want to get older quicker. You can't wait to grow up. And then when you get to the age of getting a job, you go, why did I do this? I'd rather go back where I didn't have all those responsibilities. But when you're young, you can't wait to get there. And then once you get a job, then life just goes, whoo. And it's gone. It goes so quick. But what are we doing with the time that we have? Jesus here is urging us to use that time wisely. We read from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. He tells us to make the best use of our time because the days are evil. Don't be consumed about what's around here. As we'll see from Jesus, what he says is that he's the light. But guess what? As believers, it's us. We'll talk about that shortly. But make the best use of the time. So what should we be doing? What are the works of God? Jesus says, go and work the works of God. What are those? Well, primarily in our text this morning, it's to point people to Jesus. It's to point people to Christ. That he is the Savior of the world. That all these people who are spiritually blind, imagine a physically blind person. They've got their cane and they're headed to the edge of a cliff. Would you just watch them? Fall to their death? I would venture to guess that every single one of us in here would be like a football player and run and tackle them before they get to the edge because we want to save them. If the same is true spiritually, if in here this morning you believe the words of Scripture, then that is what's happening to those who are spiritually blind. They're coming to a cliff that they're about to fall off spiritually, and it's for all eternity. Jesus says we must be urgent about pointing people to him, that he is the way, the truth, and life, and there's no other way to the Father except through him. That's the primary part. We call it today evangelism. We have this big word, evangelism, how to share your faith. You don't need to go through a course. 
If you've been radically transformed by the grace of God, if you have come to Jesus and shared your life, that's what you tell the world. Christ has changed me. Christ has saved me. And not only me, but he's come to save you too. You need to come to Christ. That's primary. There's also a secondary work of God. And it's similar to what Jesus said when he said, I am the light of the world. Church, as believers, guess what? You are now the light of the world. The one who has the Spirit of God dwelling in them, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the light. We read this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. We read, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And look what Paul says. He says, walk as children of light. It means don't go live in the way you used to live. If you've been transformed by God, live out that transformation. That the world would see it, it would put God on display. That's what he's speaking of. We're the light of the Lord. He's saying shine for God. Do those works of God. Here, here are three things I thought of. Here's one. People should feel his love through us. People should feel his love through us. There should be a type of love that people experience in us they don't experience anywhere else. You know, as a church, when we gather together and people come in this place, they should experience the love of God. The love of God should dwell in us, and it should overflow onto one another. The first one, again, that people should feel his love through us. The second one, people should experience his compassion through us. Think about how the disciples reacted when they saw the blind man. Very indifferent, like everybody else would have been. Hey, whose sin is it? But Jesus showed compassion. He is the example. He is the model. He went and had compassion. He took time out. Now, remember what just happened. People just picked up stones to kill him. He could have been like, you know what? I don't have time for this right now. There are people with stones coming after me. But he didn't. He stopped, and he had compassion. How many times in our own days do we go, I just don't have time for that today? I don't have time to help. I don't have time to show compassion. I don't have time to be loving. I don't have time. Could it be that that day was fashioned by God for that very thing? Could it be that that very thing, that that person was there with a flat tire or whatever, was fashioned by God for you to have a divine appointment with them? And we excuse it because of time. I don't have time. Third thing, people should see his holiness in us. People should see his holiness in us. If body is now the temple. I want you to walk through this with me. Scripture says, as a believer, God's Spirit has come into us. We are the temple. The Bible says that we are also the righteousness of Christ. What does that look like to others? What do others see in that? I'll tell you this, it should be radically different than anything they see anywhere else. And it should be something of holiness, something of Christ. That why don't you look and do what the world does? Because you've been transformed by God. You've been renewed. You're a new creation. You are the light of the world. People should see holiness in us. Church, when Jesus speaks of urgency, I want you to think about this. We only have so many days. We don't know how many days. But we only have so many days given to us where we can go out and be that light, be that source of love, be that source of compassion, be that source of 
giving the gospel to those around us. But when that goes away, when it, we breathe our last, we don't get another opportunity. I want you to think right now, think of loved ones. Think of your own family. Your mother, your father, your, your, your children, your siblings, your neighbors, your coworkers. Jesus, be urgent. You only have so much time to be able to share this. Now, in God's complete providence, he can send somebody else. But Jesus urges us, be active. Be engaged. Go and walk as the light. Now is the time. He says, be busy about shining for him. Shine. We'll continue our text with this blind beggar this morning. Look at the last two verses we're looking at, verses 6 and 7 in John chapter 9. We read, having said these things, this is what Jesus does. He spits on the ground and makes mud with the saliva. Then he anoints the man's eyes with the mud, and he says to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seen. All right, this is kind of just weird to me. Notice what Jesus did. What did he do to heal this man? It's on the ground. Makes some, you know, mud paste out of it. Now, the Bible says he spoke the world into existence. Couldn't he just say, have sight, be healed, open your eyes? Now, I will tell you this. There is not one person that could tell me exactly why Jesus did what he did. But I do think it's interesting if you go back to Genesis, how he formed man from the dust of the earth. It's almost like he was recreating the eyes for this man by picking the dirt, putting spinach so that it would stick to his face and be there. Now, I can't say that's exactly what he was doing because nobody can tell you that. But it seems like he's recreating his eyes. And then he commands him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which, by the way, John adds in the parentheses in your Bible, which means sent. Who is Jesus? The sent one. John is continuing through it over and over. Here's a picture of this pool. It's like a picture of the Christ. Go there and be washed, he says. So the man does, as Jesus said, and it says he came back seen. Now, the reality of, of what's going on in John chapter 9 is, Lord willing, we'll continue studying next week through the rest of the chapter. It's not really about physical sight. So, well, Pastor, that's what we just saw this morning. We saw Jesus give physical sight. That's not primarily what Jesus is concerned about. He's concerned about spiritual sight, that people can see who he is, that he is the Son of God, and we'll see the response of those who saw this, Lord willing, next time. But Jesus is primarily concerned about spiritual blindness. Think about this. What does a person gain? Imagine a blind person. If they gain sight but lose eternity, well, they get to see the mountains. They get to see that little icicles I talked about on top of the grass. They get to see the sunset. Those are all tremendous blessings. Visual, physical sight is a tremendous blessing. But it's nothing compared to eternity. So what if they could take physical sight and spend an eternity in hell? And that's what the Bible speaks of. Jesus didn't come just to give someone a physical treat. He gave to give them life and that more abundant. To give them eternal life. This man comes back and he's seen. And guess who he's seen? He's seen Jesus for the first time. He's seen him face to face. Christ has come to make the blind see. 
And this man is seeing Jesus. Christ came to give sight to the blind, to make those who are blind to see things they had never seen before. This man is seeing physical things, but he is also going to see this is Christ. I want to conclude with three questions this morning. The first one being the most important question of this morning. Are you able to see? That's the question. And I don't want you to answer me in the most literal, literal way as the Jews did. Like, of course, look, i got eyes. Are you able to see spiritual things? Or is your heart hardened to the things of God? Are all the words that have come out through the Scriptures this morning just words? They don't make sense. They, 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 didn't, they didn't come together. Or did those words make sense? Did the Spirit teach you these things? Because in that case, you can see. Can you see this morning? Have you had an encounter with Jesus as this blind man where blinders come off? That now you can see that once you were blind, but now you see. Jesus, over and over again through this gospel, has said, come to me. Come, eat and drink. Come to me and receive life. He beckons the person to come unto him to receive him. See, the gospel is an amazing thing. But there is nothing that we can do to earn or deserve God's favor. You know, the world tells us, just try harder. You know, we just had a new year a month ago. Just just turn over a new leaf and, and try harder. Be better. You know, there's nothing that we can be better in the sight of God to do better. That somehow we stand before him and say, hey, God, I'm better now. Isn't that okay? Something needs to be dealt with the sin. That we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus Christ is the one who died in our place. Took the penalty of our sin upon himself so that we can be forgiven. There's nothing like that. There's no other offer. It only comes through Jesus Christ to receive him so that you are able to see. Second question goes to those of you that are able to see. Those of you that have received Christ as Savior. Through what perspective do you view unbelievers? In our opening two verses, we saw Jesus look at this blind beggar and have compassion on him. But we saw those who were following Jesus look at him and begin to judge him. Oh, whose sin is it that he's in this condition? So the question is, through what perspective do you view unbelievers? As a child of God, one who has been transformed by the Spirit of God, I'm now to act like Christ, to have the compassion towards those And and you know what, church? It's not easy because there are things that people do that, quite frankly, just irritate you. Just three people nodded their head. The rest of you say, I don't know what you're talking about. There are things that people do and they engage in darkness and evil and you go, oh, that's not what I do. Well, guess what? That's what you once did. But by the grace of God, we are not who we used to be. He has transformed us. And just the grace that came upon us is the grace that we bestow to others. That we go to them with the compassion of Christ. Last question this morning. Are you urgently doing the works of God? That's what Jesus said. We must. He said, we must be doing the works of God. Why? Because Jesus has ascended back to the right hand of the Father. And as a believer, you are now the light of the world. You're the light of the world. Sit on that for a moment this morning. Fellow Christian, you are the light of the world. What are you doing with the light? 
Is it shining? That old uh, kids ministry song, you know, hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. Here's the thing. We are the light. We know the truth. We have the greatest treasure in Christ. Have we in the greatest treasure? We must tell others. We must tell others about this greatest treasure. Being the holy being that the Holy Spirit now dwells in us to shine to those who are around us, to demonstrate love, compassion, and holiness to the world around us, that they might see God. Isn't that a crazy thing? We get to participate in the works of God. Look, I know me and I know my past, and you know you and you know your past. And if you're honest about your past, it is an amazing thing that God will allow us to participate in his work. And he allows us to come and be part of that great commission. To go out and seek and save those who are lost. To go out and shine and demonstrate Christ to a lost world. Church, praise God that though we were once blind, now we see. Let's pray. Father, this morning we have looked at a a blind man. Physically blind from birth that Jesus engaged with, intentionally showed compassion to, that this man might receive sight. And Father, just like this man was born physically blind, we too were born spiritually blind. That if it wasn't for the intervention of you coming and opening our eyes, we too would still be spiritually blind. Father, perhaps in this place this morning, there is a person who is in that condition. And Father, we pray through the power of your Spirit that you would draw that man, woman unto yourself. That you would open their eyes to the things of Christ. That the gospel that once was foolishness would now be the power unto salvation. That, Father, you would fill them with your Spirit as they turn to you to receive you. Father, for the rest of us, may we be encouraged this morning as we're reminded that we are the light of the world. Father, as we see the command of Christ, that we must be urgent about doing the works that you've sent us to do. Father, may we be bold with the gospel. Father, I know, as we spoke of earlier, loved ones, family members, neighbors, that certainly somebody came to our minds. Father, give us boldness to share love and truth with them. Give us grace as we share that with them. Father, we pray for them now in Jesus' name that you would turn them from darkness to light. Father, help us as we walk. Give us wisdom to walk according to your spirit that is in us, that we would shine. That we would shine in love and compassion and holiness. That you would be on display in us. And we pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus.